Welcome to The Floor is Rising. I'm Sabretooth. With me is Kizu. Today, we're going to talk about Brazilian art. Hiket Nunc was founded by Rafael Lima, who is Brazilian. And some of the most interesting artists on the platform are also Brazilian. Definitely not a country that is usually associated with sort of emerging art or very interesting art, but in the NFT world and especially Hit at Nunc, they are a, I would say, a dominant presence on the platform. And none other than probably one of the most popular artists anywhere, not just on Hit at Nunc, but I would say in all of NFT is Fieldler who is a Brazilian artist that, from a sales perspective, is basically selling out the moment that he drops anything. His secondary sales is very, very strong, not just on Hidden Nunc, but also on Ethereum, on OpenSea as well. And I want to throw it to you, Kizu. What do you think of Fieldler? Well, I would dispute what you said about Brazil not being <laughs> a usual suspect in terms of contemporary art. I think maybe at the moment, early 2020s, 2010s, yeah, it's been a, a bit quieter, I think. But I would say that Brazil has always been a very strong creative force, maybe not in the fine art world. I just want to give that kind of overview. I think that there's obviously a huge country with a big population, a lot of intersecting cultures. He's got a very patchy and checkered history of colonialism, very kind of tense divide between the haves, have-nots, black culture, white culture, kind of that mix. So, you know, I think it's very fertile ground for creatives and artists. But to come back to 2021 where we are, I think that the fact that the founder being Brazilian has a little bit to do with that. So I think that it helps to know that there's a kind of community that's sprung out of that. But to go to the art specifically, I think that it's an aesthetic that I was trying to put my finger on. It's reminiscent of many other both fine art idioms as well as more poster art, comic art kind of styles. The one thing that actually jumps into my mind right away actually was, I don't know if you're familiar with the Australian kind of surf brand Mambo, <laughs> mm-hmm. which started out in the 80s. Yep. I think it came out of uh, Australian post-punk scene. So there was obviously the music influence. And I think if you look at a lot of kind of more subcultural art styles, historically, I think they always encompass something else, like whether it was skate culture or punk music and stuff like that. So obviously, I think the color scheme is a bit different. The style is obviously a little bit different. Well, it's the kind of thing that like if, if as a 14-year-old, with a skateboard and you came back home with a t-shirt with one of these motifs, your mom would not be very pleased. It's it's that kind of thing. I think Fiedler, obviously he has a very strong kind of technology or like smartphone addiction, dopamine kind of thing going on. It's it's definitely not hyper-sexualized, I think, but there are some very like crude facial expressions, the way that the human figures appear and stuff like that. The colors are very appealing, kind of acid, blue, pink, neon yellow. So I think it's a very kind of appealing and grabs you right away, the aesthetic. I think it also translates very well onto a screen. I think that's one of the uh, the key things. How do you see Fiddler as sort of art? How do you think that ages, you know, into the future? I mean, do you think that him being one of the predominant digital slash NFT artists, do you think that his works will influence people in however many years that we're talking about into the future? Mm, 
It's a good question. In one sense, it's very contemporary. So in terms of the motifs and things, there's a sense that his characters are being inundated or absorbed by technology. Some of the characters are like half cyborg with all these smartphones wired into their brain. That, that speaks very much to contemporary kind of digital smartphone screen culture. On the other hand, like his choice of style, like I said, it goes back to kind of this post-punk comic-influenced style. To go back to your question, I think it's, on the one hand, it's very backward-looking retro in terms of the visual aesthetic, and at the same time, content-wise, yeah, you could argue that it is quite contemporary. I would say that Feeler is very popular, but I think that people have not really gotten their heads around what is possible with NFTs and the idea of tokenization. So, yeah, I think that's something that you know we'll see in the coming months and years, maybe, in terms of whether... It'll age, as you say, <laughs> well or not. Let's move on to the second artist, Brazilian artist that we want to talk about. And this is one that I think is one of the more interesting artists, both in terms of her backstory, but also in terms of her art. Let me set the ground here. So Estelle Flores, she's been interviewed in kind of uh, articles about it at Nunc. And, you know, her story is she was kind of struggling to pay rent. And then she discovered the platform and she was able to sell NFT art on the platform, kind of created an income that she was able to sustain herself. That's kind of the backstory. And that's, I would say, that's probably one of the dream stories, so to speak, for a lot of creatives who sort of see the NFTs as being an outlet to be able to sort of monetize their, their creativity. So, so that's one side of it. But the second side, which, which I thought was very interesting, is the kind of art that she does. So her art on the platform is exclusively art generated from inside the sims 4 game mm. so you know she takes that game and she positions a character and does sort of like a setting and then sort of creates a piece she sells so i thought that was pretty unique and interested to hear what your thoughts are on that yeah so there's something there i think that is very powerful the idea that you know the underdog or artist that Artists from you know, less developed parts of the world that may have been excluded from a traditional art infrastructure that includes things like galleries and auction houses. I think that's a very powerful narrative. You know, I think that first bit about her identity as a kind of more marginalized artist in terms of her background, I think is something that's familiar to all of us. The second part, she got her start making pieces entirely out of a game, right? is, again, mm -hmm. I would say that's a natural extension of how these creative industries work, right? I mean, if you look at, for example, I think Japan provides a very good historical case on that front. So in Japan, there's this acronym, they call it ACG, right? Animation, Comics, Gaming, ACG. And it refers to this kind of trio of creative industries that traditionally have always kind of spawned versions of each other in the sense that you might have an original manga comic then you know, someone made an animated movie feature film length out of. And then, you know, there's a game that came out of it. And that's not discounting the merch <laughs> that comes later on or theme parks spawn entire empires of, of uh, based on a few characters from uh, what was originally like a comic, right? So I think that now we're seeing, obviously, that artists are, well, not taking advantage of that, but I think that the logic of NFTs, as a lot of people have noted already, is has been embedded in gaming, 
they incentivize players. So I think that artists that are working within this idiom, it makes a lot of sense because in games, you design characters and you it provides a, ready, a ready-made kind of visual style, right? In this age where a lot of people have, have commented that the thing with NFTs is that they lack that local context. But of course, it's not a physical one. It's all the Twitterverse that crops up around it. In Estelle's case, The Sims actually is the context in the sense that you know it exists entirely online. Sabershit, I don't know if you are a big gamer yourself and, and whether you agree with that in terms of how games can actually provide a context for NFT artists. What do you think of, of that? Mm, I'm not sure. That's, that's the thing. Because in the uh, Japanese anime example, it's all about you know, fans of that particular franchise. In Estelle's case, she's not licensed by Sim4 to create you know, NFTs. It seems to be that the game is some sort of canvas for her to exercise her, her creativity and that the consumers of those NFTs might not necessarily be super fans of the game. I mean, this is conjecture, so I'm not, I'm not really sure. Yeah, even if you were able to speak to collectors of her work and ask you know, why, what drew you to her, and whether or not they're aware of the game that she's born from. But I think, again, that's, that's really not our business. I think it's, I put that point across more to suggest what art scenes might look like in the age of NFTs, in the absence of a physical context. So online, on Hick and Moon and all these platforms, like what are the kind of references? I, all these artists that, you know, you look at their Twitter and you follow them on Instagram and things like that. And then, so if she says that, you know, she's a visual artist painting on Sims 4, like, mm-hmm. oh, what is that? And if you're not familiar with the game, you check it out. So it's just one other thing I think that people can, that potential collectors can um, find out more about. And... Whether or not it then figures into their decision, it's, you know, that's a separate question. Let's talk about another Brazilian artist, Gio Mariani. So he uh, outwardly identifies as queer, and his art is probably, I would say, one of the sort of the most popular forms of art in NFTs, which is pixel art. Right? But he approaches pixel art in a pretty different way than most. He's not really into sort of characters or, or, or that sort of thing, but more about using pixel art to demonstrate particular concepts and emotions, some of the political, some of the you know, social political. What do you think of uh, Gio Mariani's art? So I think in the traditional art world, a lot of times when we talk about queer artists, the understanding is that these artists make work about their identity, or rather they actually center it on their queer identity. So, you know, it's hard to run away from that. I think that if you have people like Gio here who showcase their work on this platform, and I, I'm not familiar with this work, so based on what I've seen here, it doesn't address those queer-specific issues in that sense. And of course, it's not something that is somehow de rigueur or expected of queer artists. The work itself, I think, is interesting in the sense that the motifs are a bit more opaque, I would say, in the sense that there are figurative elements. I'm not saying that it's abstract, but what I'm saying is that it's, it's as compared to someone like Fiedler where it's more in your face, obviously, and the message is quite clear. There's something very quiet and like kind of ambiguous about the way that Gio creates his work. I think it's not 
entirely clear what the subjects are, what the inspirations are, the the motifs are a bit opaque to the casual observer. So yeah, I think that he's got a quite an interesting style, and maybe it would be the kind of thing that would reward someone who is interested in decoding what this kind of personal symbolism might mean for artists. Cool. And our final artist that we want to talk about today is Ty Silver. So she's a Afro-futurist <laughs> type of art, um, which I believe is kind of in vogue right now. What do you think of her? Again, just to put it out there in terms of terminology, Afro-futurism. Yeah. Saber Truth, I think maybe what you're thinking about is more of the kind of 2010s vogue for both African-Americans, so black artists, as well as African artists from Africa that have done very well in the traditional art world in, in the U.S. and Europe and was a definite narrative in the past 10 years. I think it had a lot to do with the fact that ambitious gallerists were looking for the next big thing. And even though Asian art was a thing, they were looking for more, you know, like artists from the Caribbean, from Kenya, basically the African countries that were less on the radar. And... That did happen, and there were many kind of retrospectives that um, of top galleries and then secondary sales were strong as well. But that was not really, I think, where the term Afrofuturism came from. I believe it dates from the 60s jazz scene, actually. And to a certain extent, visual artists that, you know, for example, designed the posters and, and the visuals for these artists. It's kind of like, well... I think not so much John Coltrane, but people like Sun Ra and, and the more. I think a lot of it was kind of a mix of jazz and funk. Obviously, this is when the more you, know, you had synthesizers and stuff like that. So the kind of sound of music was changing to a more electronic one. And I think that the musicians that were active in the scene were going for a sound that to them conveyed a future where... You know, African identity, African Americans in particular could really fulfill their, you know, creative potential and become very successful. So I think that's the context. But again, obviously, in the visual art context, there were all these artists that did produce the vision. And, you know, this is a time when the album art was a huge thing. Like it, it made or broke the album if you had very strong, because the, the consumer would be buying the music, but he would be buying the LP. And then you had this very interesting graphic design for the poster, for example. So I think that maybe that's where Ty's uh, Silva is coming from. I can already see how some of the works on Hen here might make a very strong album cover in terms of the kind of simplified geometric forms, kind of restricted color palette, but very strong kind of graphic, sharp graphic sensibility, I think. So yeah. I'm not sure exactly like what her political position is in terms of like how she sees herself as a black Brazilian artist. And in the Brazilian context, obviously, I think that's a very powerful political, well, socioeconomic and political narrative. But it's based purely on her work. I think, yeah, it, it draws on that legacy of you know, historical Afrofuturism. In the NFT sort of crypto art context, sort of Afrofuturism is, is a more literal thing recently. I mean, because, you know, the dominant 
I would say, theme in crypto art currently is futurism, right? If you browse the top sales of any platform, you'll find most of it dominated by sort of futuristic looking art, whether it's futuristic looking worlds, futuristic looking 3D renders, futuristic looking spaceships or cars, or it's about futurism to a certain extent. And it's a self-fulfilling sort of loop in the sense that if, if futuristic themed art sells well, then it either attracts artists who are you know into that kind of thing or you know, artists who want to sell produce those kind of works and those works definitely do kind of sell. But then at the same time, it merges with artists who bring their own sort of political slash sort of social history with them. And part of that is is a lot of the sort of the racial politics of the racial tensions that's occurring not just in creative world, but just also in society in general over the past few years, you know, with Black Lives Matter and uh, and Trump and, and all that kind of stuff. I think you know, Afrofuturism in the NFT world is just a more literal combination of those two kind of things. Yeah, I think you're absolutely right. I just wanted to point out the kind of historical etymology specifically of the term. I think that what's been happening the past 10 years in the traditional world and right now as we speak in the NFT space is absolutely an extension of what happened in, in the jazz and funk scene in the 60s, right? Obviously, the mediums have shifted and it's not always been about visual art specifically, but I think it's been definitely a very strong questioning of like, what is African and African-American creativity, right? And the platforms that are available today and the fact that we're talking about Brazil on Hick and Nunk today testifies to that in the sense that the Brazilian presence on this platform speaks to the fact that, you know, it is the artists from not just like African or, or countries with a kind of uh, considerable indigenous or a population of African origin. I think it's absolutely about that identity and how it comes to bear in the ways that these artists engage with their market, with their audience, with their collectors. Cool. So let's wrap up uh, this episode about uh, Brazilian artists. Is there anything you want to say to sort of sum up? Is there a Brazilian sort of aesthetic is there a brazilian style what, what, what do you think Some yeah well i think we mentioned a little bit especially in relation to fiedler at the start um in terms of influences and then obviously you have estelle flores who draws from the visual idiom of a game uh and gio mariani the queer artist whose work isn't uh superficially isn't very queer issue focused and then Ty Silva obviously has a um this afrofuturism narrative so i think we've we've looked at a very interesting mix um of styles just within this group of four artists so it's really hard to generalize i think one thing that's come up though is that um, and I think with the, the last discussion about Thai Silva and, and uh, Afrofuturism is that it is very Brazilian in the sense that, you know, it's tied to a lot of issues facing Brazil as a country in 2021. And whether that's got to do mostly with an emerging, less developed country that, you know, is, is rapidly becoming an international force in 
in many areas, or whether that's a coming of age of its artists that are engaging with, as as ties in love with with issues of you know the identity of its artists. I think that there are a lot of ways in which you can see. I wouldn't call it maybe a Brazilian aesthetic. I think it's something that can be gleaned from the place of Brazil in the world today. If you want to talk about the Brazilian aesthetic, I think it does help to think about it in terms of the current status of the countries that we're talking about, because it's always the case that the culture and the art is a reflection, I think, of the kind of social, political, and economic position of the country. It may not be explicitly about those issues, but I think it's always the larger context that we that we need to be aware of. So yeah, in that sense, I think you know Brazil NFTs 2021. Yeah, so it's a good starting point to think about what that identity or that Brazilianness and, and where that comes from. Good episode. Let's do it again. Cool. Thanks, Abel. Thanks, Jesus.